This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Caston-Smith. I am the pastor of education at Rio Vista Community Church and your host on this podcast. And joining me today is Will Bushman, our director of student ministries. Will I ever get a title for this podcast? Like, you're the host. Like, what does that make? I don't know. Mark always was the host, and then that made me, like, I don't know, a special guest. So are you the special co-host? You want to be co-host? No, I don't want to be the co-host. That's a lot of responsibility to carry. Oh, we'll think of it later. All right. Color commentator. There you go. Color Color, commentator. Color commentator. That's all I want. Will Will Bushman. Good to be here. (laughs) All right. We got that settled. All right. So, Will, we're in 1 John. This is our last episode on 1 John, chapter 5, the last of the five chapters. So far, before we launch into this chapter, have you had to summarize what First John means to you? Like, what do you, what do you take away from this book more than anything else? What would you say is uh, from the first four chapters? What are you walking with? I think it's probably been his most repetitive phrase: is that because he has made us a part of his family, that we're to look like him. Yeah, which means we yeah. act like him. It's the gift of being in his family then requires us to act like we're part of his family because mm-hmm. my mom used to always say this every time i'd walk out the door in high school remember whose you are and who you are nice and i feel like that's a lot about what first john is saying mm-hmm. like she was reminding me not only do you belong to jesus but also your last name is bushman and that's gonna <laughs> be something so we require of you to look like a family member in the bushman family and that has requirements yeah That'd be dangerous to say to a cast and spent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to be like those guys. No, but that's like the bar <laughs> of the family. You know, that's like if we all acted like we should, this yeah. is what we should look like. It's like the vacuum. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And the themes that he hit on, you know, very, very hard is that looks like love. You know, God has loved you with an extravagant kind of love. Therefore, you're to love him. You're to love others. And he's also thrown in all of these um you know, like gut check questions. Yeah. Like if you're a Christian, this is what your life should look like. And if it doesn't look like this, then you need to evaluate whether or not your faith is authentic. You know, are you walking in the light? Are you obeying his commands? Are you content to be in the darkness? Are you are you really grabbing hold of truth? Do you treat him as the ultimate authority? All these questions have kind of come out of these chapters. And John isn't saying you become a Christian by doing those things. Yeah. Like you're talking about, you do those things because you're his, and you you bear the family name. You've been adopted. He's given you a new nature. The power of the Spirit now dwells within you. You've been made new. You should be seeing that in your life. Yeah, and for as heavy as this book is a lot of the time, it is light. It's like a very, you know, it feels like almost like mm-hmm. whiplash reading first John. You're like, bam, obey my commands. But then you'll yeah. see today, like, well, he has commands and you should obey them, but they're not burdensome. Right. So you're like, oh, what, what are we talking about? Yeah. And of, of just about, you know, you think about all the different books of the New Testament, the ones that really kind of call you to question, like, is your faith authentic? You know, First John would be pretty high up there. Yeah. And yet today he's going to say, hey, I'm writing this letter so you can know that you have salvation. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, I've been questioning this all through this book, you know. 
But what he's saying is you've got like what you're talking about. You've got to remember where your salvation comes from because he's not making the case that it comes from your behavior. Yeah. He's saying it it comes from recognizing whose you are. You're adopted. And keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep your eyes fixed on his beauty. Recognize the promises that are yours in Christ, and that will generate the change in behavior, not vice versa. And so he's very big on recognizing that the gospel is going to come before the impact on behavior. And so jumping in to chapter 5, verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that word Christ, you know, growing up, you just kind of assume that's his last name or something, you know, Jesus Christ. But that word is Messiah. It means the king. This is the promised one who's coming to reign over all things and to make things right for the people of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God, to bring about this new reign of righteousness and justice and peace and salvation, if you believe that's him, then you've been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So that's true. Like if you're going to, if you authentically love me, you can't treat my children like garbage. Yeah. It just wouldn't work. Like if I see you abusing my kids or showing neglect to my kids, I'm not too thrilled with you. Right, that you just can't. If you love me, you're going to show respect and love those whom I love. Yeah, and that's because remember, First John's being written to the church that had a bunch of people just separate from it, the, the false prophets. So he's saying, okay, now that you guys are cloistered together again, like care for each other in this moment, in these times, what matters right now is if you're loving each other because I have loved you. Mm-hmm. I remember using this in a sermon illustration where I was saying, you know. Ryan Brazington and I went on a mission trip together, and we went to, like, the craziest remote region of Haiti. We were up in mountains where, you know, the littlest kids had never seen a white person before. And so Uh we were calling it the Blanc Alarm, Mm -hmm. because as we were walking through the village, you would hear these kids just kind of mesmerized, and they would be yelling, Blanc, 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 like a white is what that means. And it was, like, pretty wild. We didn't have phones, no signals. Like we had a sat phone that we could only use in emergency. So we didn't talk to our families for like a week. And the illustration I gave is, you know, if I'm gone and I've, you know, left my wife behind and our house burnt down, and that means that my wife loses her credit cards or cash or wallet or clothes, her, you know, the food, the medicine, everything is gone. And my kids are, you know, in their pajamas with nothing and it's cold or whatever. Like, and I come back. Whoever I find that has gone out of their way to give my family clothing and shelter and food and to care for them and their needs, I can't tell you how much I love that person and for doing that in my absence. But the person who just drives by them and shrugs at them, like, come on, you don't love me if you can do that to my wife and kids. And so the same kind of a principle is applying here. This is what God is talking about. If you're born of God, you're going to love those who are born of him. And so by this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, that's it. You know that you love the children of God when you love God and obey his commandments. And that right there takes the worldly notion of this kind of mushy, emotional love, like, ooh, I feel some great love for them. And it throws it right out the window because it says, no, no, no. You love when you obey. It's not you love when you feel. You love when you submit yourself and your actions and your commitments to God. That's how you show love. Revolutionary to the way the world sees it. Yeah, that's helpful because when you talk about love and God loving us, we're really happy that God's not a God that loves in a feeling way. Like, uh, just like, oh, 
will really sucks today i'm out like, yeah you know because so that, that that's the assurance that john's constantly coming mm -hmm. to give us like look at your life it's mirroring the love of the father that never stops never mm -hmm. ends never gives up yeah and it's not based on our circumstances it's not based on our performance and that is what gives you freedom, right? That's, uh, you know, getting into the last chapter where it says perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. If I had to sit and constantly feel like his love for me was based on my performance or my circumstances, you'd be fearful all the time and yeah. in an unhealthy way kind sure. of fear. And that's what this is. This is what this is getting at. Love is a commitment. We talked about this last time, agape. It is a resolute commitment of the will and you're deciding with your behavior that you're going to love people. Radically different than the world's way of understanding love. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you believe that? Yeah. Did you believe that when you first started toying around with faith? His commandments are not burdensome? Um, no, I think that's the part where the active lifestyle finally matches up with what we feel about it. Okay. Like Explain. We, I think, especially in this, because obviously we just talked about it, it's so much about love that there is something when we are serving other people selflessly that we do find freedom in all of this. Mm -hmm. That it is that thing that, you know, an oxymoron it seems in our life just because we're so built on like everything's like peer reviewed and performance based and we got to match up with all of these things when he's really saying no this is how you find freedom that you're walking in step with me you're abiding and your actions will f resolutely follow that hmm. and that's why it's not a burden because you know jesus way it's light his yoke is easy you know it's it matches it i think hmm. we only get that when we actually do it mm -hmm. i remember when i first came to faith if i'd read this verse it would have it would have not made sense to me like yeah. right when i was coming cuz you know i was in a in a lifestyle i wasn't you know exceptionally crazy or anything but my life revolved around drinking and going out to bars and you know girlfriends and all kinds of stuff that don't jive with what you know god is calling me how he's calling me to live and it felt like the invitation into an authentic relationship with him and discipleship with him meant you have to give away everything you enjoy and I thought to myself, this is going to be a lifelong commitment. Yeah. Like, I'm just not going to be able to do anything fun for the rest of my life because at that time it felt like, you know, <laughs> sin was fun. Yeah. You know, and, and righteousness and holiness didn't seem like it. You know, prayer, is that fun, really? Like, worship, is that fun? Kindness, love, service, is all that fun? But what was the biggest surprise to me is as the Lord grabbed hold of my heart over the course of months and years even, Yeah. I started finding that I found greater joy in the things of God than I ever found in the things of the world. Like I didn't expect my heart to change and transform to find things that he delights in delightful. Yeah. Um, but that happened. And it's like the more you get to know him, the more you get to love him, the more you take on his interests, the more you delight in what he delights in, the more you hate what he hates. And that starts taking over your character, which means it starts becoming natural for you. It's not burdensome, as, as John is talking about here. The more you fall in love with him, his commandments are not burdensome. And you got to remember that John is writing this in a culture where the commandments were outrageously burdensome. You had the Torah with the 613 different laws, and that wasn't the end of it, because then the scribes and Pharisees came along behind them and the rabbis of the day and parsed those 613 laws into subcategories with all these other laws of what it means to you know, keep the Sabbath holy, 
39 different, you know, rules about how to keep the Sabbath holy. And it was crazy. It became so much that you felt like you were in a straitjacket. Like I couldn't imagine having to live in that culture where the law comes along and it's like, you're just, you're, you're, it's so constrictive that it, it would have been miserable to try to live under that. And Jesus comes along and he says, okay, you, you know all that? Yeah, all the 613 laws in the Torah, yeah, they're good. But in reality, it just boils down to two. You know, this is, this is the conversation he has with the, the great lawyer who comes and asks him about the greatest commandment. And he says, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he says the second greatest is like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says the entirety of the law hangs on those two. Love God, love your neighbor, and that's it. And it's like, oh, you can just, I mean, imagine living under the complexity of all the pharisaical system and everything else with these thousands of different rules. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and goes, no, 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 just boil it down to two. And you can just, you can... You can enter into that and feel the weight of all that just kind of melting off your shoulders. Oh, this is not burdensome. You know, if if we're boiling down the entirety of our religion and what it commands us to do, to love, oh, like you can sigh, you know? And that seems like more purposeful too in obedience. Mm-hmm. It seems like you're obeying not just, you know, just to make the Pharisees happy or whatever it is, or, you know, the fences outside of the fence, outside of the fence and making sure you just don't get close to the one law that you really shouldn't mm-hmm. yeah. break. That is so interesting that you think about, like they would have heard that so much differently. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. like in our world where the only rule is like, I can do whatever I want, what yeah. I want, how Be I want true as, to yourself. Yeah, as long as no one gets hurt, kind of, yeah. you know, like <laughs> if I get caught, that's the only law. So to us, this feels like so burdensome because we're finally getting some like order and some discipline and it's not just chaos all the time but to Mm -hmm. them it's like whoa yeah but it changes the heart behind the law you know i've had this and i've said this before on this podcast but i really think that this is spot on when jesus summarizes the whole of the law into loving god and loving others it's because those are the only two things that you can devote your life to that will go on forever like if I devote my life to my career or my bank account or my whatever, all that stuff is going to perish. All that stuff is going to be ripped away from me. The only things that go on in some sense to be immortal is what I invest in immortal beings, which mm-hmm. is God and your neighbor. Your neighbor's going to live forever somewhere. And so invest in the things that are going to last forever. Well, what is that? Well, it's the things of God and the things of loving your neighbor, pouring into who they are, their soul, their being. Everything else you devote yourself to, it could be really noble and it could be godly, but in the end, it all perishes. You cannot take it with you, but what you invest in Christ goes on forever. It's like you knew the next verse was coming up. Ba-bam! For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And that's it. That's it. That's your only hope of overcoming the meaninglessness and futility that seems to be in this world. But this, I mean, this, this is it. You know, you, you look at the, the studies, the surveys that are being done in sociology and psychology right now, and... You know, this millennial generation, people talk about how their their desire to work isn't so much for a paycheck. It's not so much for, 
you know, climbing the ladder. They want to know that they're doing some kind of social good with their life. It's one of the things, it's one of the noble things that really defines that generation is they want to do something for the social good. But at the end of the day, the mental health of all these generations is beginning to crumble because you realize, like Ecclesiastes points out to you, that no matter what you do, no matter how much you invest, all of it ends at the grave. It's all swallowed up by death. So what's the real purpose? What's the real meaning? And I think that's why so many of the health, mental health indicators are going bananas. There's only one solution that is known to man where you overcome the world, and that's found in Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus hits on this point, and John records it. And this is Jesus talking. He says to them, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Like, no matter what you're going through in this world, no matter all the things that are constantly shaking around, all the dynamics of life that you can't control, Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm, I'm bringing you a message that can ultimately give you peace no matter what. And then he says this, because remember, this word that John is focused on in the epistle about you overcoming the world, Jesus says this, in this world, you will, it's a guarantee, you will have tribulation, but take heart, why? I have overcome the world. And so when you read in John's epistle here about how we are to overcome the world, well, how is that? We're going to have tribulation. We're going to have all kinds of mess. We're promised that, and yet we can have peace. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world, and if we're in him, then by extension, we have overcome the world. Yeah, and it makes you just want to keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, the, the trials sometimes you're just like, what are we doing all this for? <laughs> really? You're like, well, we did this last year. We did this five years ago. You know, it seems like we're just on a mm-hmm. rat wheel, and we're just like, what are we doing? And then... You know, bam, John and Jesus break in and like, no, no, it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Like really what you're doing here through all the struggles, through all the strife, through all the pain, that something actually is happening. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay, good. I, I needed that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a, it's, I remember hearing this, Dr. Gage taught on this, but in Ecclesiastes, you know, he comes with that line that you, everybody's heard. It's kind of like colloquial now, but he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Like yeah. what's been here before is just going to keep happening. It's all like you saw a rat wheel. It's, it's vanity. Nothing changes. It's always the same. And so he says, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. But one of the last words ever captured by Jesus in the entirety of the Bible comes in the book of the Rev- Revelation. And what does Jesus say? Behold, I make all things mm. new, which means that in me, you find eternal life. You find purpose that's not just vanity that's constantly falling back into disrepair and mess and you know everything falling apart constantly. No, no, no. I've come to make all things new. That cycle of vanity, I'm smashing it to where now you're going to go on forever and things are only going to get better and better and better and better and better for all of eternity on the other side of glory. And it's not going to keep falling into disrepair and it's not going to seem pointless your efforts are not in vain in him. Why? Because he makes all things new, including your labors and your tribulations. And that's that's a comfort. And you think John ends this epistle here, but he doesn't. He <laughs> Thanks, continues. John. He, he's got more to repeat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, that's one of the things about First John 5. You're like, you know, man, he's he's back at the love thing, and he's back on how important it is to be, you know, born of God. And a lot of these themes he's hit on, but it's like he, he wants to drill it 
into your brain. Yeah, he really thinks we need to hear it more than yeah, once. Yeah, that's correct. Well, because we do. So verse six, he throws out kind of a strange comment that you got you to gotta chew on and try to understand where he's coming from here. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And then he adds, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Go ahead and explain this to us, Will. Uh, I can, actually. Uh, all right, good. Because good. a great commentator, who I don't know his name, but he writes a great commentary in the book of First John, and he actually sets up this scene, because I was like, what are we doing here, John? Like, <laughs> we're on love, we're talking about it, then all of a sudden, but like his whole thing is like, mm-hmm. I'm proclaiming to you the real Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and I'm going to bring, and the author talks about like, we're in a courtroom now. He's like, I'm going to call three witnesses to the stand, and eventually a fourth, and he's going to be like, all of these three are going to proclaim exactly what I have proclaimed to you. And like you imagine the court scene like, hey, I, John, I call water to the stand to testify on his behalf. And he takes us back to the baptism where, as Jesus goes into the water, the heavens open up and the voice of God you know, says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Boom, right there. Water. Hmm. Testifying about that Jesus is fully divine, the son of God. But she, even, even beyond that, like yeah. that's really good. I love where you're going with this. But in Romans 6, it talks about like in our baptism, that when we're baptized, we share in the the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that water not only is on the stand testifying for who Jesus is, but what we now receive, we share in all that. Yeah. That's cool. I like it. And then he calls blood up there, and it's like this scene where it's like, okay, blood, on the cross, did Jesus really die? Hmm. Like, you were there. Like, did your blood was spilt, and was Jesus, the eternal Son of God, really, really dead, that there was no hoax, there was no faking it? No, that Jesus Christ really, really died, and I can show you because I'm his blood. Hmm. And again, same thing that we partake in because of Jesus' blood, you know? We partake in his death. Yeah, Yeah. we are atoned for because of his blood. And then, you know, John gets back to the Holy Spirit always because it is the spirit of truth. I mean, he's made that very clear that now... We can look back at those things as going through the waters of judgment with Jesus and his Mm. baptism and in ours. We can go through the death of Jesus with his blood, just like ours. And now the Spirit is constantly telling us each and every day as we walk with him, no, this is the real Jesus. He can be trusted because I Mm. am the Spirit of truth living in you. That's awesome. And one of the things that John talks about in his gospel that Jesus is very, very intent about is he's saying, hey, I'm going to leave you. But I'm going to send with authority, like authority. He's yeah. like Jesus saying, I'm sending my spirit and he is going to come and do all these functions for you. He's going to help you to remember what I've said. Mm-hmm. He's going to convict you. He's going to be a helper. Well, literally like a helpmate to you. He's yeah. going to work with you to advance this cause. And so that's really awesome. So what John is saying, okay, let's take the threefold thing. You've got the water. Which, by the way, is, is not just you know the baptism that we share in, but when you're baptized in the Christian church, it's, it's a, what we call a sign and a seal in the Presbyterian church, where you're actually like being brought into the family of God. So it's, it's like an external sign, right? So there's, there's the water. The blood, you're saying, applies over us, which then gives us atonement so that when when we stand before God, we hear those same words that Jesus heard. You know, yeah. this is my beloved son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Like God's pleasure now falls on us because of the blood. And then with the spirit, if the spirit is in us testifying, all of these things are evidence that we are genuine believers. And so you appeal to the water, the blood, and the spirit. I love that. It's cool. 
Yeah, the weirdest set of assurances we got in the book of First <laughs> Yeah, John. right, isn't it? But it makes a lot of sense. So verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is really binary. Like, yeah. John's not leaving a lot of room for you to say, well, I kind of think this. Like, it's it's either you're in and you believe in the son and you embrace Jesus, or you make God a liar and you're out. Yeah, and he obviously understands what's been going on in this church. Like, there's obviously the people who have separated their whole claim was that Jesus was not God. Like we may be backtracking a little bit, but he's like, no guys, listen to me. Or right God now. in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or God in the flesh or he's not who God says he is. And he's like, no, they're wrong. Like stop. <laughs> like this, I'm not going to have any more of that kind of talk in this church. But he's, he's very clearly yeah. making that this is a matter of salvation here. Um, he says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. There is no way of parsing that to where you can say that there is a way to heaven apart from Jesus. Am I am I missing something? No, I think you're good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it repetitive is, and clear. Man, but it's like, bam, like there's no way you can listen. Like all the people who say, you know, I believe that they're all roads up different sides of the mountain all lead to the same place, and they're using that to say, you know, you can get to heaven with with Muhammad or Islam or Allah or you know the whatever three hundred million gods of Hinduism. Do you know how that's many? Like they have that many gods? Yeah. That's crazy to me. So they'll lead you to the same place, and all these different roads all lead to the same God. And what the scriptures are coming and saying very emphatically is: if you don't have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. But the good news behind that is faith is the only barrier. Mm. Like, think about how inclusive the gospel is far beyond any other religious system or philosophy known to man. They all, you know, you go to Hinduism and you have a caste system. You go to Islam and and they, they've got all sorts of requirements and, and ways that you're in or you're out, you know. Christianity comes and says, I don't care about your race. You're welcome. Mm. Come to me. I don't care about your gender come to me. I don't care about your wealth. Come to me. I don't even care about your moral standing. Hmm. Come to me. Like what restrict Jesus doesn't stay, never says in any of the gospels, any of the epistles, anywhere in the new Testament, everybody can come to me except, right? The only thing that keeps you, I mean, there's one category and that's the proud who Mm -hmm. say, I don't need you and I won't submit to you, and I won't recognize my need for you. But everybody who comes and recognizes a need of any category, of any stripe of person, is embraced and given righteousness. There's nothing that keeps anybody away from the salvation of Jesus except pride that keeps him at arm's length. That And that's your choice, not his. Yeah. I heard of it. I think it's by an anonymous person, or I just don't know. But it says <laughs> the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Hmm. I like it. Yeah, so it's like that's rich. It's only the humbling. Like we're all we're all equal there, mm-hmm. right? We're all in need of it, and that's the only thing that we need is the need. Yeah, I love that. I've heard that before in a Keller sermon, but I think he's quoting somebody. Yeah, the only thing you need for salvation is need. 
<laughs> you, you have to recognize you need yeah. it. That's it. So then he says, you know, after four and a half chapters of making you wonder if you're a Christian, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where he's saying, if you do this, you're not an authentic Christian, and making you rethink why you believe you're a Christian, which is probably the better way to put it. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Like, in other words, he's saying, I've written all of this down so that if you can, if you can walk through this letter and wrestle with it and find your identity in Christ and yield over, then you can have the confidence of walking through this world knowing hmm. that you're a child of God, knowing that you're absolutely secure in his grace and in his mercy because of his goodness, not your own. I want you to know that you're safe. That's pretty cool. I wonder how many people who are self-identified Christians would say, I know I have eternal life, and how many of them are really unsettled and unsure. Yeah, because I think sometimes we think the assurance is like, you know, trying to catch the air because mm-hmm. we're not, we, it's sometimes hard to define assurance mm-hmm. in, with an eternal God that, you know, speaks sure. to us through scripture. We can't be like, hey, God, like, how are we feeling? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. But here John is, he's like, no, this is a solid way to know that you can have assurance. You can come and access this whenever you want all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, the crazy thing about Christianity is as you walk through all these things that are talking about, you know, this, you should look like the father. If you're truly adopted, you should look like him. And our walk away, like the, the ironic thing is that you don't gain the confidence by saying, okay, I need to wait until I look like him and I need to go, you know, back to the grindstone and really work at this. No, the moment that you read those things and you go, oh man, like there's parts of me that aren't there and you humble yourself and you go before him and you lay all that stuff down. That's why he starts off this book by saying, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. And so you get to, to know that you have eternal life, not by being a perfect reflection of him. You, you won't be on this side of glory. You get to know it because the spirit moves within you that when you don't look like him, you go to him and you confess. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, he gives you the assurance and the confidence of saying, no, no, no. I do have eternal life because he's good and he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins. And so I'm going to walk in that confidence. It's radically different than legalism, but this is what he offers to us. All right, so verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Yeah, and I think, you know, when it talks about this, you know, that we have confidence of of who we are in him, that whatever we ask, he's going to hear us. And and I think what John is really focused on here is not, you know, you know, God is a vending machine or a Pez dispenser or whatever, but it's saying like, hey, do you remember what you know? He's just talked about your assurance of salvation, right? And so I think he's what he's saying is if you go to the Lord and you're sincerely asking him and you have confidence in who he is and you're trusting in him, then you can be absolutely certain that he hears you and that whatever you ask, like the requests that you've asked of him in this journey, you're going to receive because you have a father in heaven who's looking out for you. Yeah, I think when I am walking in the light, you know, when I am, when I really feel those moments and those seasons where I am abiding in Jesus, I think my prayers do change. Mm-hmm. 
I think I'm obviously still praying for me because I know I need prayer the most out of anybody because I know me the best. <laughs> but I think it does. There is more of an intercessory aspect to it because mm. I'm caring. I'm, if I'm loving my brothers well, then I'm constantly taking them to Jesus in prayer because mm-hmm. most of their stuff I can't control or do anything about. So the mm-hmm. best place that I can be for them is just to be praying for them constantly. And I think that's what mm. John's getting at, that when we're praying according to his will, a lot of that is going to be just hey, this is going on in this person's life. I have no control. I have, I have nothing to do. I, I can't change this. I can't change my brother. I can't change my friend. But you can. Mm. And the best place that I can put him is at your feet right now. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to trust that you're going to do something. Yeah, that's really good. You know, one of the things that, that David says is if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And, and you think that through, and it's like, that's not saying that if you come to the Lord and you delight yourself in him, then you get all of your dreams come true. It's amazing. What it's saying is if you go to the Lord and you just absolutely delight in him and you recognize what an amazing treasure you have in the Lord, you're just going to get more of him. Like he's going to give you the desires of your heart. If he is the desire of your heart because you delight in him, you're only going to get more of him. He'll never withhold himself from you when you're authentically seeking him. And I love this, the same kind of thing, like, and how we should pray. In Psalm 27, also verse 4, you get David, who's, who's right in the middle of crazy town, right? He's got armies outside. He's, he's facing scandal in the kingdom. His own sons have been rebelling against him. Everything that could be going wrong against him, he's fearing for his life, his reputation. Everything's on the line. Super stressful season. And you get to verse 4 of chapter 27, And listen to what he says. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord. And if you knew the circumstances that David was facing at that time, you know, I got an army outside the gates. I've got children that are trying to overthrow me. I've got my (laughs) reputations going down the tubes. I got people in my inner circles that are turning on me. If you're asking one thing of the Lord, (laughs) you know, you're thinking, Uh, like this army gone or something like that. You know, look at my circumstances, God. Help me with my circumstances. But David says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and this only will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And you think, man, if you had one thing to ask, (laughs) that's it? Yeah. And David is wise enough to know that it's far better for you to ask to, to draw near to the Lord in your circumstances because you'll have peace in the middle of that. You'll have everything you need when you're with the Lord regardless of what circumstances are raging around you. Sure, God could change your circumstance, but he's not going to change your heart for the circumstance where David is saying, no, 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 I know the safest place in the universe is with you and with my eyes fixed on you. That prepares me for every possible circumstance that this world could throw my way. That's going to be where I find peace. That's where I'm delighted because I get to see your beauty and how much you love me, regardless of what's raging around me. And I think there's so much wisdom to be taken in that to where like, no matter what's coming your way, seek his beauty, keep your eyes fixed on him. It's like what John says, you know, you'll become like him when you see him. Hmm. And that's the encouragement. Behold his beauty. That's our great desire is to behold his beauty. So when he says, you know, he hears us in whatever we ask and requests that we ask of him, like that is, that's a good request. So then in verse 16, this is where it gets, I don't know, 
this is there's different interpretations of this and it gets it sounds a little weird to our ears when we read this but here we go verse 16 if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death and all of a sudden all the record players go like what do you mean there's a sin not leading to death because that's one of the great truths of the scriptures that the wages of sin is death like that's all over the place. You're you're dead in your sins and trespasses, it says. And so now it, it sounds like John is trying to parse this out, saying, well, there's some sins that don't lead to death. We'll get to that. So if anyone sees his brother committing a sin that not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. (laughs) So in reading the commentaries, I don't know which which perspective of of the following you fall in, but I'm I'm just going to list out how people parse this. The first way of viewing this is that John is not talking about eternal death. He's talking about the kind of sin that's really dumb, you know, like, you know, driving your car 180 miles an hour after drinking, yeah. like that, that's probably going to lead to death, you know? And so it's talking about physical death. There yeah. are sins that don't lead you to death. Well, obviously, you know, I've, I do a lot of them, right? Yeah, still I, here. Still, still here. Then there's another view that says that this sin it's it's talking about the distinction between blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Like there's one yeah. sin that the scriptures say cannot be forgiven. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means you know, your heart is just unreachable. You're yeah. not concerned about the things of God. You curse God. You walk away. You're you're hard to him. And so that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the another perspective. And then there's another view that says that this is just char- like it's categorizing sin among believers. Because if you're a believer and you're confessing your sin, then it's not a sin that leads to death. The, the problem with that one then becomes it's referring to brothers that do this. And so it's like, okay, well, they're in the faith. That means that sin is not going to lead to death. And so that makes this passage where a lot of people go, is he like trying to like categorize, you know, like Catholics have yeah. mortal sin and venial sin. That's probably the passage where that comes from, where, you know, if you commit a mortal sin and you die without repentance, this is the Catholic view, then you go to hell. Uh, but if they're just, you know, the, the lesser kind of sins, well, you know, that's just a couple of years in purgatory burning it off or something. You know, that's not what we're teaching. Hear me, people. <laughs> We don't believe in categorized sin, but John, here, this is probably where they pull that from. What's what's your take on this? Which of those three, or is there someone, some version that I'm not highlighting? Yeah, I think actually the focus is on us praying for people. Okay. Right, because it says that part where he shall ask. So we're still talking about God's hearing our prayers, and now John's coming to us and saying, I think it's the one where that you have a believer that is stuck in sin, mm-hmm. right? But that sin is going to be, you're praying for that sin to be confessed. You're praying for that brother who's walking in darkness right now, but you know that he has the assurance of faith. He's just in a season that your prayers, you're going to bring him before God and he's going to turn and he's going to repent. And that those sins that he's committing now are not going to lead to his death because in fact, they're going to lead to Jesus's death because Jesus has covered all of that. Oh, cool. I I think I see that. Like, so the last thing before we get into this one is like you talked about, you making requests to the Lord yeah. about assurances of salvation, right? That mm-hmm. you may know that you have life. And so 
that also then applies to your brothers. If you see them committing sins, well then ask, and God is going to grant to them repentance that leads to life, and they're not going to perish. That's really cool, yeah, awesome. We may need to record that all over again and do away with all this. No, I like that they're gonna clip out your Catholic thing and you're just actually gonna become a priest. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't handle having one of those things around my neck. <laughs> Every time I wear a tie, I start getting headaches and wanting to quit on life. <laughs> You're like, I'm out. I can't take it. So having a collar around my neck all, all day long, no way. I mean, plus all the theology stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's, mainly, it's the mainly the collar. Mainly the collar. It's, it's unbecoming of Sam Cash and Smith yeah, to wear a collar. Yeah, I'm not a stylish guy, so I wouldn't care what they clothed me with. I just can't do the collar and the robes. That would get hot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't appreciate the robes. I don't like the beads either. Yeah, the, be- the rosary beads. Yeah, I'm not into beads. Nice. Yeah, so he says, I do not say that one should pray for that if there's a sin that leads to death. This is one where I bet if you really got into the Greek when it says pray, it's literally to inquire. We should just keep this all in here to show people we struggled too. (laughs) No, people will turn this off real quick. So I'm looking at the original Greek behind the text here, and that word for pray is different than what's typically used in the New Testament word for pray. So the, the, the word that's typically used comes from eukamai, and that means prayer. But this is erotao, erotao, um, which means to inquire about. So this isn't the word that's typically used for prayer. So if you were translating this straight out of the Greek, it would be there is a sin that leads to death, I do not say that one should inquire about that. So it's not necessarily talking about prayer here. It's it's using an entirely different word that the translators have chosen to use prayer for, but it's saying you better not ask about that. Yeah, like don't be confused that I was talking about a sin that does not lead to death, but there is still sin that leads to death and just stay out of that completely. Yeah, let's not like, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like let's <laughs> Yeah, let's not even go down that path. Yeah, I think that's right. Because when you say, hey, there's a sin that leads to death, don't pray for that. That's crazy talk. Like, I don't, that, of course you want to pray for that. Yeah. That's, you definitely want to pray for that. Um, but it's more like saying, don't, let's, let's move on. We don't want to talk about that. So all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Um, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He said that before. But he who was born of God, notice the emphasis, you're born of God, you're welcomed into the family, you've got a new nature, the Spirit's in you. He who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So again, this is the kind of the idea of this intercessory stuff. If you've been born of God, you are going to protect those that are stumbling, that are sinning. That's kind of the idea. Um, So not only do you not just keep going on sinning, but if you're born of God, you're protecting those who do, and the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19, coming to an end, three verses to go, he says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Boy, does it. So, you know, this gets into a conversation about eschatology, which, you know, the end things and how the world is under the dominion of Satan, like God is 100% sovereign, and yet the world is given over naturally people choose to follow after their father the devil the father the the devil still has a great deal of influence in this world right the son of god has come but the world lies in the power of the evil one it's still under his spell his influence until glory that's going to be the reality you look at the newspaper you turn on the news and good 
grief is that true? Yeah, pretty obvious. This your, one. your parking experience. Yeah. I mean, I want to watch the world burn right now. And that's just driving <laughs> to my place of work. Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy, crazy world. And so he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. I mean, think about that. Like when you're watching the world that's lying in the power of the evil one, you can despair. You can very quickly despair over, ah, is it even is it even worth fighting for? Yeah. And this is where he comes back and says, yes, 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 the world lies under the power and the spell of the evil one, but you know that the Son of God has come, and you know what he came to accomplish. You know what he's done. You know how the story ends. You have that understanding that he's given to you. Why? So that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. And that good grief do we need to hear more often. Like, as the world is crazy, as the world is burning, as it feels like defeat at every corner, every headline feels like righteousness and truth and justice and things that are beautiful and good are in retreat and evil is just advancing in the world. And John is saying, hey, 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 this was true in my day. Yeah. Yet we know that we're in him, and we know that he has overcome, and we know that he has the victory. We know that we're in his hand, and so be at peace. Be at peace. We know him who's true. He is the true God and eternal life, he says. That's it. Like, this is this life is a mist and a vapor, and then we win. Yeah. We're guaranteed to win. So keep your eyes fixed on what's unseen. Keep your eyes fixed on the goal of eternity. Keep your eyes fixed on what matters forever, not jobs and bank accounts and all that stuff, but people and God, those two things, and march on knowing that you're victorious in the midst of all the evil and defeat. Know that. You have the victory. And then he closes with what seems like a Yeah, you would turn. think that was a great place to end. Yeah, let's just like, stop great there. Great summary statement, <laughs> Let's stop John. there, John. But he says... Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And it's not a change of subject as much as it seems like one, yeah. right? What is he what has he just said? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you will have victory because if you keep your eyes on the world, good grief, everything is crumbling beneath your feet. Everything is falling apart. And how would that destroy you? It only destroys you if those things that are crumbling and falling apart are your idols. Boom. If that's where you find your identity, if you're looking at the world, if you're looking at the headlines, if you're looking at your country, if you're looking at all these things that are really wonderful, if you're looking at your family, if you're looking at your kids, if you're looking at your marriage, and you're holding them above God, and they're all shaking, you're going to be devastated in life. Yeah. But if you keep your eyes fixed on what's true, what has the victory, what is eternal life for you, which is Christ, and it's guaranteed, cannot be shaken, can't be taken away from you, your security, regardless of your performance or your circumstances, in him, 100% secure, if your heart's there, you're not going to be shaking like a leaf on a tree. But if you give your heart to all the idols, you're going to lack peace. You're going to be in constant turmoil. And so it's not a left turn. Yeah. It's a good place to end the book. Yeah. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep yourselves from idols. Don't give your heart to anything that cannot possibly satisfy it. You're doomed to fail if your heart is given to idols. They will fail you. I think it was a good time and a good book. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like First John. Yeah. This is good. I haven't spent this much time in First John ever. So yeah, me either. It was a good honestly. one. Honestly, some of this stuff is really challenging, but it goes to show like as you find in the gospel and the teachings of Christ and the teachings of Paul all over the place, your identity as a Christian is not based on what you do, and it's not based on whether you're good enough. The good news of the gospel is that you belong to God based on what he did and the fact that he is good enough. That's our hope. And the victory is 100% ours. And if we're looking to conform more into his image, the key is not trying harder. Yeah. It's just looking at him, yeah. beholding him, loving him more, and remembering you are a son of God, adopted at great price. You are a daughter of God, adopted at great price. Remember what you've been given. Behold his beauty and here's the promise. You will not be able to resist becoming more and more like him when you see how beautiful he is. And the spirit working at you in conjunction with the water and the blood like we talked about today, that is how you know you're an authentic Christian. Do you have the water? Do you have the blood? Do you have the spirit? They're all gifts from him. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you're a child of God. Amen? Amen. I've enjoyed this book. I've yeah. enjoyed- what's up you know good times bad times yeah yeah it's 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 been challenging at points yeah all right well thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the out of water podcast i really do hope that this book has been enjoyable like will said i've I've never spent this much time in first john it's been good it's been challenging but i tell you what at the end it brings me back to the gospel as the scriptures always do that this isn't about me this is all about the kindness and goodness of god and that's what i've got to grab hold of And so I hope you've enjoyed your time, that it's been profitable for you, and uh, we wish you the very, very best of weeks. God bless. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.